This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of a hangout that we had with Jeff Surratt. Jeff has been involved in church planting uh, for a number of years now uh, and has had posts such as the director of Exponential and also the church planting director at Saddleback Church under Rick Warren's leadership. In this hangout, Jeff was focusing on how we build our church planting teams and he talked us through the 10 ingredients of a successful church plant. You can find the full notes on everything that Jeff had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 83. We're sure you're going to love it. So here is Jeff Surratt. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be uh, with you guys today. What an incredible uh, honor to be asked to, to talk. And as Tom said, I'm in the uh, I'm in the States. And so um, I'll just stay up top that I'll do my best to be contextual, but you guys will probably have to do some translation of language and context and uh, stories to whatever your environment is. I love talking about uh, planting a church, uh, church planting. Um, as Tom said, one of my roles here at the church I work at, work at in Colorado is, is the church plant pastor. And so we plant different churches. And in the past, I've had some, some other opportunities to, to do that. I've been in ministry as a pastor in some form or another for, for about 35 years. And in fact, ministry goes way back in my family. In fact, church planning goes way back in my family. My grandfather um, was a, a grocery store owner on the West Coast of the States in California, and he felt God calling him to be a church planter back in the 1950s. And so back then, there weren't, uh, there weren't uh, web, webcasts, there weren't books to read, there weren't uh, conferences to go to. So my grandfather just sold his grocery store, loaded up his uh, Ford truck, uh, put his family in it, threw all his furniture in the back. And they just started uh, heading east in the States into uh, Oklahoma. And my grandfather had a picture in his mind of a, of a church in a wheat field. And he, that's all he knew. He just knew that he, there was a church in a wheat field and that's where he was supposed to go and start a church. As he drove across the wheat field there in Oklahoma, um, they came around a corner and, and, and there was the exact picture of a church in the middle of a wheat field. He, he asked around and the church had been abandoned for many years and people said, sure, you're, you're welcome to do anything you want to with that building. And so my grandfather moved his family in and they started inviting children to come and hear Bible stories on Sunday. And from that, my, my grandfather started a church and he repeated that pattern across Oklahoma. And so in those days, that was kind of the pattern. I mean, you didn't have uh, training, you didn't have money, you didn't have a network, you just kind of launched out. As Tom said, we're going to talk a little bit about a team, and we're going to talk even broader than that. We're going to talk a little bit about what are the things that uh, lead to successfully planting a church. And again, my context is in the States, although I've had opportunity to work with church planners um, in the UK and, and Western Europe and a little bit in India. Again, still my context is 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 in is in the states, but I think there's a lot of things that are transferable. Um, I am uh, kind of a church planner myself. Uh, I have never started a church from 
uh, with nobody. I actually took over a church a few uh, many years ago that had 11 people when I got there. And so that was my plant team was the 11 people that were still in that church. And and uh, so so we poured ourselves into it and learned a lot of things, made a ton of mistakes. And then eventually I wound up with a, a church in another part of the country. And that church began this idea of having multiple locations. And so they were one church, but we had congregations in, in um, uh, many different locations spread pretty wide across the Southeast United States. And my role in that was to to find the pastors, to find the locations, to help them start those sites, and then to to uh, uh, manage and, and and oversee those locations. So that's kind of my my church plant experience. As Tom said, uh, I, I eventually wound up in the state of Colorado, and, and you may probably don't know a lot about Colorado. It's an interesting area of the United States. It's a a very unchurched area for for the states. About 90% of the people who live in Colorado have no connection to church and really no connection to any type of Christian or even religious environment. Um, it's an interesting area because it's very spiritual. People don't aren't anti-God and they're not anti-church. They, they love the idea of, of being spiritual, but they have no interest whatsoever in attending a church or being a part of a church. And so our environment is not all that different than what I've encountered a little bit in the UK and in, and in Western Europe in that very unchurched environment. And here's what we have in Colorado. We have a lot of people who come here and try to plant churches. A lot of them come from the Southeast, from what I would call the Bible Belt of the United States. And, and they, they see Colorado as a beautiful place. We're on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. We have great uh, uh, climate. Um, we have uh, very low unemployment. And so it's a great place to move to. So we have a, a lot of church planters come to our, to our state, and they want to plant a church. And what I see, which is very sad, is that most of them fail. Um, some of them hang on for a while. They have a very, very small church. It never really grows. Others close the door um, entirely. And then some actually, they prevail, and they see many people come to Christ, and they grow a church that is, um, that is life-giving, that is growing, that is making a difference in their community. And so really what I want to share with you for just a few moments is based on my grandfather's experience, my experience, both being a church planner and working with church planners, and then also the experience I see here in Colorado. And I want to talk to you about some things that I think lead to a successful church plant. And we're going to get to the team piece of that, but um, that is that is a part of what seems to be successful. And really what I found, and if you'll kind of bear with me to the end, I think you'll agree with me. I've kind of discovered 10 ingredients that lead to a successful church plant. And I believe that if all these, I think a church is going to succeed, but, but I'm not saying there's a formula. You just have to listen to all 10. I think you'll agree with me. So the first thing, let's, let's dive in here a little bit. The first thing that I think that has to happen if there's going to be a successful church plant is the church plant or the leader has to have a very clear call from God. What we say many, many times is if you can't imagine yourself doing anything else in ministry, do that. The only time I see guys, uh, men and women, successful in planting churches is when they say, I have to plant this church. God has laid it so deeply on my heart. I can't imagine being a, a youth worker or a children's worker or anything else in the kingdom but being a church leader and a church planter, there has to be a, a clear desire. 
what, what we've run into often here in Colorado is we have young people come here to plant churches. And as I talk to them, what I discover is that their real desire is just to do church different than the one they used to be in. And they feel like they have a better way to do church. And so they, they want to, they want to go plant that. And I found over and over again, that that is not a compelling reason to plant a church. There has to be a desperation to see people far from God become Christ followers. And the only thing we can think of to do to, to reach those people with the gospel is to plant a church. When I see that, when I see that, 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 that fervor, that desire, that, that I've had several um, people say to me, you know what, whatever else happens, whether it succeeds or fails, I have to go do this. And so that's every successful church plant that I've been around has started with a clear call on that leader. The second uh, non-negotiable non uh, piece of church planting, and this is a hard one to talk about, is that leader needs to be gifted. They, they need to be a leader and able to lead. They need to be gifted by God to lead. And not everyone is called to be a lead church planter. Many people are called to be a part of a team and to help with children's work or, or student work or, or music or some other area. But the person who's going to lead this church plant needs to be a gifted leader. And what I mean by that, um, someone said a long time ago, everything rises and falls on leadership. So when I talk about a gifted leader, what does that mean? Well, there's two or three things I see in gifted leaders. First of all, can that leader inspire other people to follow? Someone said that if you think you're a leader and no one's following you, then you're out just out taking a walk. And I've seen that many times. And, and how do you find out if someone has that leadership gift, the ability to, to uh, uh, inspire other people to follow them? Well, look at, look at the history. As you look back at your history or, or someone else that you're looking at that might be a church planter, are there times through their life when people have just followed them? Maybe, maybe when they were in school, when there was a club or a team, they, they were the one that the team wanted to follow or the club wanted as their leader. And in business, could they gather a team around them? If they volunteer in a church, are there other people that just want to be a part of their, the ministry they're in because they follow them? They inspire others to follow. But then there's another element to this. Not only is a church planner someone who can inspire others to follow, but there's somebody that can identify, develop, and deploy other leaders. I've known leaders that are incredible at getting people to follow them, and they can lead a charge, they can lead an initiative, but they don't build teams. A successful church planter will always be a team builder. And again, look at history. Are there teams that you have built? Are you able to build a team and then see that, empower that team to go out and do other things? Um, this is a huge piece of being able to identify in someone else a leadership gift, to develop that gift in them, and then to deploy them into ministry. And then the third part of this gifted leader piece is a, a, a successful church planner. His leadership is resilient. He, he can take a punch and come back up because in church planting, what I have found over and over again is you will be knocked down. You will have circumstances that are overwhelming. The successful church planters are able to get back up and be resilient. So a third ingredient of these, uh, these 10, and I'll go a little faster on some of these others. A third ingredient of successful church planter is having a supportive family. Because here's what I found is Satan always comes after the church planter's family. That is 
that that is that is where Satan tries to get in, tries to cause damage, tries to hurt the church planter, and so the church planter's family has to be all in. Whether if they're married, their spouse, their children, they have to have a clear picture of what's ahead. Here's what this church plan is going to be like, and the family needs to be saying, "We're there. We want to be there with you." So. Um, a, a supportive family is a huge part. Next ingredient that I've seen in successful church plants is, is this idea of a, of a real need. Is there a real need for a new church like the one you're going to plant in the community where you're, you're going? Now, this, this piece really depends on context. And so you have to understand in your context. But here's what I know in the States. There are many communities that already have really good churches. They may not be exactly like the church plant that, that the planter wants to plant, but there are great churches in their community. And so a successful church plant will move into a community where there aren't great churches, where there aren't life-giving churches. And so you have to ask yourself, is this a community that I just want to be in? Are there other life-giving churches already there? Or is this a community that God's calling me to because there's a big need to have a church like the one that God has placed in my heart? The next ingredient, the next part of um, successful church plants, and we're getting to the team building piece, but these are the building blocks before you even start thinking about recruiting a team. Do you have a strong connection, a strong affinity for the community where you want to plant the church. Here's what happens in Colorado a lot. Like I said earlier, it's a beautiful place to live. We have very low unemployment. We have um, a very low church attendance rate. And so for a church planter in the States, we're a very attractive area to come to, especially where I live, which is the capital city, Denver. We're right in the middle of the state. We're very attractive for church planters. They love to move here. They love to plant churches. But here's what we find is they know about us, but they don't know us. They don't understand our culture. They've read demographic studies. They've read newspapers. They've researched online. They've visited. They've come on holiday. They think they know Colorado. They think they know Denver, but they don't. Because to really understand who we are, to understand our culture, takes time. And we have people come from very different cultures in the U.S. And in the U.S., there's a very specific culture in the South. There's a very specific culture in the Northeast. And we have a culture out in the West. And we have people who come from those other cultures. They don't understand our culture. They don't take the time to understand our culture. And they fail as church planters. So the strong affinity is, do you understand the culture? Do you have a connection to the culture of whatever community you're moving into? And then also, do you have a heart for that community? Do you have a drive to reach the people who don't know Jesus in that community? I often ask church planners before they plant, what keeps you up at night? And the ones who say, ah, oh, when I think about the people that are facing eternity without Jesus, if they don't hear the gospel, I, I can't sleep. I know that is somebody that God is leaning into to plant a new church. So do you have that strong affinity for the community that you want to go into? Let's look at another one of these ingredients. Um, do you have an effective strategy? It's not enough just to say, hey, I'm, I'm called. My family's behind me. I'm a leader. 
I have a love, a, a, an affinity for this, for this area. Do you have a strategy? Do you have a way to, to reach people and to gather them and to build it into a church? If that's what you're planting is a church. In Denver, where I'm at again, we see failed strategies again and again and again. We have seen people move here. And, and in, in Colorado, we have a, and again, this is a contextual thing, but we have a, a large group of homeless people who live in, in Denver. And we've had church planners come here and their strategy, they said, is they, they just go down to our parks where the homeless people tend to live and they just start handing out sandwiches. Well, that's not a strategy. We've had others move here and they've heard in other parts of the U.S. that all you have to do is, is you send out a, a flyer, you send out a mailer, you give away free coffee and free biscuits on Sunday and people will just show up at church. And you know what? There are parts of the U.S. So that that probably is true. So they come to Colorado and they make up a great flyer and they buy coffee and they buy biscuits and then they send out their flyer and, and nobody shows up because that's not a strategy. We've had other people come in and say, we're going to, we're going to go to the schools and we're going to love, uh, we're going to help the teachers. We're going to, we're going to help them uh, with the elementary kids or the middle school kids. And, and they come in, and they, they buy school supplies for the schools and they give them away that's a great thing to do, helping the homeless and sending out flyers and helping children and all of those. Those are, those are really good things. Those are not strategies. They're just good things to do. They don't lead to planting a church unless they're connected to a strategy that helps people come to know Jesus, connect to each other, and become a part of a local church. We read in the New Testament in the book of Acts, Paul had a very clear strategy over and over and over again, Paul comes into a community, and the first thing he does is he goes to the synagogue. He says, I go to the Jews first. He preaches Jesus in the synagogue. The next thing he does is he begins to form relationships in the community. Um, he, he, he hangs out with the people who live there. And then he often, as a tent maker, will begin to share his faith in the marketplace. He has a pattern. He has a model. He does those things, and then he Together, those things weave together, and he plants a local church, and, and then he appoints local leaders. He has a strategy. My question is, is are you using a proven strategy? Um, there's no reason that we need to reinvent things. There are, there, there are strategies that work in different cultures. Are you following a strategy that has seen success? And if you're not, are, are you creating a strategy that you think will have success? Do you have a, a clear strategy? So I put those six things first on purpose, because before you start recruiting a team, before you're inviting people into um, what it is you want to plant, some things need to be in place. Because here's what, here's what I know about people, regardless of their context. First of all, people are drawn to a leader. They're drawn to somebody who is confident, who knows where they're going, somebody that they want to follow. So that's why I talked about the leadership gift and the call. They are drawn to a team, not to a dictatorship, but to something that is shared. They're drawn to a strategy. They're drawn to not, hey, I think we're going to do something. Let's figure it out. But hey, I have a pretty good idea of what we're going to do. They're drawn to a call, a story of, I know that God is calling me to this. They're drawn to a vision. And so those are the things, the type of things you want to you know before you start your team, that you're a leader, that you have a call, that you have a strategy, you have a vision. And as you're thinking about a team, here's a, here's a phrase that I've heard and I've gone back to again and again and again. People will support a world they help create. 
Let me say that again. It's not at all original with me. People will support a world they help create. In other words, you invite people into the process. Yes, you know a community, you know a strategy, you know your call, but you help people say, what do we do with this? How do we create this? What do we run with? What would you, what do you have a heart for as a team member? How can I help you develop that area of our strategy? So you invite people into the process and then you have to set clear expectations as you're attracting people to this team. Make sure they understand what the expectations are. Everyone who comes to you will have an agenda. We all have an agenda. Some of them, it's easy to know this is what this person thinks this church looks like. Sometimes it's not. We have to take the time to understand each agenda that comes to us. And here's something else I know about building a team. Um, you've got to invite people in the process. You want to set clear expectations and understand the people. And then everyone is a potential team member. Everyone you meet is a potential team member. Never say no for somebody else. I, I learned this lesson years ago. A, a successful businessman, he, he had run a huge toy company here in the States. And he retired and he moved into our community. And we had a real need in our church for somebody that would help us with the business side of things and really help us figure out some of those things as we were growing fast and expanding to different locations. And I thought, well, man, he ran a huge toy company. He's retired. He, he's not, he's not going to want to spend time helping us figure these things out. But I really felt God prompt me to say, no, you need to talk to him. You need to ask. And so I sat down across from him and I, I laid out kind of where we were going and what God was laying on our hearts. And I said, Byron, we need your help. We'd love for you to be a part of the team. And here's what we can offer you. We can't pay you a dime. So we want you to come and volunteer full-time for us for free. And he said, you know, that's the best offer I had all day. I'll absolutely do that. And for the next several years, he worked with us side-by-side -side as a part of our team. Huge background, education, understanding what we were trying to do. There's people around you in your neighborhood, people in your family, people in your church that would love to be a part of your team. They're just waiting for you to ask. Don't say no for them. Let's hit a couple more and then I'll be done. The eighth thing that you have to have is you have to have adequate resources. Here's what I know about planning a church. It's going to take longer. It's going to cost more. And it's going to be more complicated than most leaders imagine when they begin. In the States, many, many new churches fail because they don't have adequate resources. The leader hasn't thought about how to support his family, hasn't thought about how are we going to pay for rents, all of those kinds of things. A successful church plant most often has a steady supply of prayer, people from the outside, they're praying for them, expertise, people that are giving them advice and leaning in, and people that are giving money. And so one of the major pieces of building this church plant, building this church plant team is adequate resources. Two more. The ninth thing that I have seen in successful church plants, once there's a team in place, uh, once there's resources, there's a called gifted leader, is there's an engaged network. I find over and over again, successful churches are part, church plants are part of a network. Very seldom is a successful church planted with somebody all by themselves. You go back to Paul. You go back to the Apostle, Apostle Paul. He had an incredible support network. He had the other apostles. He could lean into Peter and James and John and all of those guys. 
Also, whenever you read through his letters, Paul also always lays out this network of leaders that he's connected to, Timothy and Titus and Silas and Barnabas and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. He never works alone. He's always working within a network. Here's something I say to church planners all the time. Never plant alone. Never plant alone. Be part of a network. I, I, I don't know your context. I don't know what network you're a part of. I do know that across Europe, across the UK, there are incredible church plant networks. If you're not a part of one, find a way to be a part of one. The other thing that I highly recommend, and I've seen here in the States many, many times, is this. If there's a church in the community that will partner with you, that is a huge bonus a church that will give you resources, that may give you people, that, that will at least love on you and care for you and be there for you. So you got to have an engaged network. And then I want to give you the 10th ingredient, the 10th part of his all successful church plants. And this is the one that ties it all together. And I just call it divine providence. Here's what I know is sometimes God blesses a new church plant in spite of the leader, in spite of the strategy, in spite of the lack of team, God just decides in his sovereignty that this church is going to reach people, that this church is going to grow. And you look at it and you go, it doesn't have the other nine ingredients. And sometimes God just moves through who he wants to move through. And then I've seen great church planners with a strategy and a call and a desire and, and a team and all of these other ingredients. And somehow it just doesn't seem to, to go where they want it to go. And here's, here's the bottom line. And the last thing I want to say is there is just no substitute for God's blessing, for God's sovereignty. So in all of your preparations, whether you're thinking about planting a church, you're in the midst of it, you planted a church a few years ago, it goes back again and again and again to seeking the face of God, spending time on your face asking God, praying, and growing as a disciple. Um, so that's been kind of my experience. What I've seen is churches that have those 10 things in place tend to do really well, reach a lot of people uh, for, with the gospel. Uh, churches that leave out two or three or four of those tend to struggle. And so my prayer for you is that wherever you're at in the church plant journey, because what I know is whatever context you're in, that community, that nation needs uh, thriving, life-giving churches. My prayer is that God will use you to do that. The first thing that, um, that I'd like to address, someone was wondering about um, when, it's particularly the team piece that, um, that this one comes on to, when we're trying to get a team together, and particularly uh, you were saying everyone is a potential team member, don't say no for people, um, in what circumstances would you say no to people? So how picky are you? Because um, as a planter, you sometimes want to say, I just want people. I want anyone I can get uh, and build this thing. There's four of us. I want to get to 10. I want to get to 15. Uh, I'll have you. I'll have you. I'll have you. How picky are you uh, and how picky should we be in our team? Yeah. I would answer that in two ways. One, I wouldn't be picky at all. I have not yet met a successful picky church planter. So I know what it is. Early on, do you have a pulse? Okay, you're in. So, so that's the one side of it. Um, for the most part, uh, anyone who, who wants to connect early on, absolutely. 
at the same time, incredibly picky about who I ask to take uh, significant roles. So one of the things we always talk to church planner is never give titles. Do not give titles early on. Do not say you're going to be the the children's worker director, or even you're going to be the worship director. Um, Because once you give a title, then there's kind of ownership to that. And you don't know yet. Maybe that's not the right person. Maybe that's not the right role. So what I invite people into are teams. Hey, we would love for you to help us in the children's area or in the music area or in the uh, mission or evangelism area. And then Watch and be very picky about the leaders. Here, here's our here's our here's our example, Tom. As always, our example is Jesus, right? So we look at Jesus when he came, and he he preached to the masses. And you look, and and for a while he didn't have the twelve around him. He just had lots of people coming, and everybody was welcome, right? Nobody was left out. Everybody could come when it was time to hand out fish sandwiches. Everybody gets one. But when it came time to decide who my key leaders are. Jesus said, I want you, and I want you, and I want you incredibly picky about who he called disciples or leaders, not picky at all about people that wanted to follow and be a part of the, a part of the team. Cool. Uh, so let's kind of just dig into that a, a bit more then. So when, when you do get to that point uh, where you're going to pick a few people, you're going to say, right, you guys are, are the leadership core with me. You're headed up this area. You're headed up this area. What are the things then that, Uh, jump out to you to say well these are the people for me then these are the right people out of this crowd that I've got here Um, I I guess there's a bit of character a bit of skills in there but do you have any kind of thoughts or frameworks that could help us on that yeah Uh, I don't I probably don't have anything that you wouldn't already think of but I think the first thing you're looking for is integrity you want to make sure that they are who they say that they are and that takes time you have to get to know them that's why you don't rush rush into this. I have seen church plants. I I had this happen in my own life. I needed somebody who could lead the music that was super talented. And so I invited someone to do that because they were talented. I had some questions, wasn't sure about all of their integrity, but thought they're pretty good. And they wound up causing huge damage in our church because this lack of integrity. So I'm looking, you're looking first at the integrity piece. And then you're looking second at um, how do I say this, Tom? And sometimes the, the language thing trips me up. So, so in an American context, I would say, are we on the same page? Are we, are we ag- agreeing of what the vision and mission and where we want to go? Do they agree with what I, I think we ought to do? And really understanding that. Because again, like I said a while ago, everyone, I mean, right here, Tom, it's me and you. We each have our own agenda of why we're doing this today, right? So I have a different reason to do it than you do. And yet I think they're compatible. I think they work together. So that's a huge deal is to figure out, Tom, if, if you and I were going to plant together, I'd want to kind of understand what do you see, Tom? What do you want to, what, what do you think would be success? How would, how would this work for you? And then that helps me know, are we on the same page? And then I'll give you just one more as I'm looking is they have integrity. Are we on the same page? And then early on, man, you've, you, the more strong leaders you can find, define the way I defined them a while ago, a leader is somebody that people will follow. So if, even if they, here, here's what I've discovered. So a lot of times in, in planting a church in a traditional plant, you need someone to work with children. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it may be hard to find somebody really super gifted in working with children, but what you need is somebody who leads leaders and can attract leaders. So you can put them over the children's work 
even if they're not great working with children, if they're great at attracting leaders that can work with children. I don't know if that's helpful. It's really helpful, yeah. Thank you. It's actually led on to a follow-up question, so we'll we'll go on to this one. Next. It ties in a bit to what you were saying about, I think the quote was, people will support a world that they help to create. Um, it's a great quote. I loved it when you were over at the um, multi-site day in London a while ago. That was one of my kind of takeaway quotes, and you've used it again today. So Someone was asking uh, about how do we engage people into that and give them the opportunity to shape and create without giving away like your vision and values and there's something kind of birthed within you as a, as a leader and a planter that is non-negotiable in there. How how do you let people shape the process and yet guard something that's precious there? So, yeah, that's a great question. The first piece of it is, is um, you have to have a framework. You have to have a framework of this is what I believe God's calling me to, because you have to have something to hang all the other ministry on and then from there, you have to think about what are the non-negotiables? What are the pieces of this that it has to be this way? Make that list as small as possible. So, so let me give you an example. I'm, I'm leading a church right now in Colorado, um, large church, been here for quite a while. And our, um, our mission statement is we are cultivating an irresistible community that starts where you are, that grows as daily disciples, and loves like Jesus where we live. Non-negotiables, that's what we do. There is a ton of freedom under that for leaders to figure out, okay, part of that is we grow together as daily disciples. How do you think we ought to grow together? What would be some things we should be doing that would grow together? Would you be willing, Tom, you're on my team now, would you be willing to take that piece of the vision and just dream about that and, and research? And Why don't you come back to the team, Tom, and say, Hey guys, I think these are the three most effective things we got to focus on that will help people grow daily as disciples. And honestly, Tom, I don't have a huge I don't have a huge passion or vision around that. I want to hear what you have. That that's kind of what you got to do. You got to keep as a leader. There are things you have to keep that are yours, but then you got to you have to be uh, confident enough to let the other stuff go. Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing that, and one of the things that I guess could happen um, that you want to avoid is almost like uh, people having their empire within the church. So I'm the guy who came up with how we do this discipleship thing. Um, so that that's mine. And being probably more possessive about it than you would be over the whole thing. I mean, how do you, how do you get that kind of um, to filter down and kind of your next level of leaders to give freedom to the guys under them as well? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think one piece of it is everything flows down from leadership. So I I got a chance to uh, spend a little bit of time with a a fast food company here in the states that is really what really known for doing an incredible job of serving. Their 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 employees are always polite. They're always helpful. And so I asked them, how do you how do you train your employees to be that way? And they said, that's easy. Our founder serves everybody around him. Everybody around him serves everybody else. They said it flows from the very top. So I think this idea of watching out for empire building, it starts with how do I lead? Do I lead like I'm building my own little empire or do I lead with open hands saying, hey, let's do this together. Let's, uh, Tom, I want to see you succeed. Uh, It's not about me. I think that's the first piece of it. And the second piece of it, I think is, uh, uh, 
it, it's that relational piece with the leaders. So, so you and I need to be in a relationship. We need to be having tea together. We need to be in each other's homes. We, we need to, it, it needs to be a, a very tight relationship. And then the last thing I would say is a friend of mine, I talked to a friend of mine about this a long time ago, and he was, he was launching lots of sites and uh, mm-hmm. lots and lots of leaders. And I said, boy, don't you worry about that some of these leaders will kind of, uh, the way I would say it is they'll go off the rails, they'll build their own little, little empire, they'll build their own little kingdom. And his, re- his answer to me was, uh, yeah, absolutely. But if you start 100 of anything, 10 of them are going to go crazy, but 90 of them are <laughs> really cool. And so a piece of it, Tom, is as you plant, you can try to control everything from day one, or you can go, there's going to be some fires, there's going to be some problems along the way, I'll deal with it when I get to it. And that's a piece of it is you want to be wise, but at the same time, I would lean toward more freedom knowing you'll have to go back and maybe deal with it um, down the road if you trust the leaders that you're given the freedom to. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, let me just a question come in here. How do you get your uh, variously engaged plant team members? So I guess different levels of engagement uh, from the people on your team. How do you get them to work together to get the vision implemented? Um, how do you help the people around you make choices about what they're prioritizing first? Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's kind of look at a different engagement level and how you can get them all together on vision. Yeah, that's a great question. That's one, probably one of your biggest challenges, right? Because as a church planner, you're thinking about the church every day, all day. Your team is thinking about it a couple hours a week or 10 hours a week. And and so, yeah, that, that that's a challenging thing. I think one piece of that is the, just the reality. Some people are going to be more engaged with others than, than others. Um, you're probably going to spend more of your time with the engaged people. So you have to you have to prioritize first and say, I love everybody, but I'm going to really invest in the people that are investing in the church. I'm not going to kick anybody out, but that's where I'm going to spend my time are the people that are, that are invested. So, so that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is what I find is the more compelling the vision, the more engaged people will be. And a, a story that I go back to again and again which may be a true story or not, I'm not sure. But when Steve Jobs was early on uh, founding Apple, he uh, was trying to recruit a, a, a leader of another company to come work with him. And the, comp- the other company was a, a soft drink company. And Steve Jobs had this real picture of what Apple could be. And he finally says to the soft drink executive, he says, do you want to make sugar water the rest of your life? Or you want to, do you want to come with me and change the world? And I think about that a lot. And as a church planter, you are engaging in something that changes the world. And so there's a thousand things people can be, uh, have priorities around, but what, what can they invest their life in with better and longer term, uh, 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 better and longer term returns than helping you plant a church. And so I, I find again and again, that's, that's what people engage in is something that they believe in and something they believe is going to have a long-term, long-term return. Um, and, and so that probably maybe not pract- practical pieces, but, but for me, that's kind of the answer to engagement. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, 
So, so with this idea then of um, compelling vision and uh, the story like Steve Jobs, obviously um, he's got Apple as his company that he's able to, to pitch from. Um, when we're planting a church, we're not in the kind of uh-huh. equivalent of Apple. We're in the little startup computer shop down the road. Um, how do we give this kind of compelling change the world vision in a way that when the reality of life for the people in our plant is it's eight people in someone's sitting room praying together what does compelling look like in a way that you've got big and you've got now and bridges it does that that make sense what i'm getting at there oh it completely makes sense and you have to address both realities right and and um so what's probably shaped my thinking more than anything in this type of thing is there if you search on the internet you can find pieces of this for free but bill hybels from willow creek church did a talk several years ago at the global leadership summit called from here to there and what he talked about is this is where we are now when you're casting vision you talk about this is where we are now and this is a good place but we can't stay here this is why we can't stay here we have to go there and then painting a picture of, of there. And so as you look at how you, I, I agree, um, it's not like I can invite people into Apple. However, what I can invite people in to is the picture of there that God has given me. And as I say that, um, here, here's something that I, I have discovered about successful church planners is they're a little bit crazy. And they're a little bit arrogant. And here's what I mean by that. A church planter sees something that doesn't exist. They see this church that's not there yet. They see this community that's not there yet. They see dozens and maybe hundreds of people coming to Christ in this new church that they're creating. That's a little crazy. They're seeing things that don't exist. But they're also a little arrogant because they believe that they can build it. They believe that it can happen. That that's what you have when you're sitting there with those eight people in your living room praying. You talk about the fact, I love this. I love this community. I love that you're here. I don't ever want people to feel like they're less than because we're not big and we're not reaching hundreds. This is this is fantastic. But we can't stay here because I have this picture that God's given me. And this picture is that we are seeing the crime rate in our community go down. We are seeing the divorce rate go down. We are seeing poverty addressed and we're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing people literally healed in the streets through what God wants to do through us. So that's why we band together in this group and we may be eight for a week or a year, but we're never going to give up on that picture. And that's the apple that I invite people in is not the eight people in the room, but what I believe God is going to create through us. Very good. Um, Okay, let's let's go into the kind of topic of uh, calling and passion and uh, dreaming and so on. Uh, so, as a kind of leader, you've got your your call. You know what you're about um, within your team, particularly if you are uh, drawing in people who've got um, some spark about them, who God's got His hand on. They'll have their own calling, and like you said earlier, the agenda isn't always quite the same. How much space do you give, particularly in the early days when there's kind of finite capacity on what you can do? How much space is there for other people within your team to 
um, to work out their own calling. I, I guess come on their own, they can do what they want, but to within the, the community and within the church that you have there, to use the time and attention of, uh, of the people in that early church plant to go off and do this and that and the other, or how tight a rein do you focus on? No, this is what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a huge part of leadership development and we miss it a lot. I think our, my role as a leadership development in developing leaders, my role is to sit down with the leader, to sit down with you, Tom, and say, Tom, tell me about your dreams. Tell me what God wants to accomplish through you. And then to say, Tom, I would love to help you see fulfilled the, the picture you have in your heart, in your life. Here's how I can best help. Let's start with this church plant. Let's start with doing these things. I, I know it doesn't sound like the future of what you want to do, but I think it can get there. In the beginning, I need you to help me with this and this. And then as we go, I want to give you more and more responsibility. I want to expose you to training. I want to expose you to, to leadership opportunities. I want to continue to stay connected to you so that you don't feel like you're just a, you're just a, a, a gear in my machine to fulfill my vision. But really, I want to work together. And my ultimate goal is to develop you, Tom. And that means that someday... When I get to deploy, that's why I talk about identify, develop, and deploy. When we get to deploy early on, I want to deploy you in the church plant. I believe long, uh, very much in that. But someday it may mean sending you out. It may mean you're going to go work in a mission organization or you're going to go start a nonprofit. Or I'm excited about that. And so while early stages of the church plant, that's very, very scary, the more we can hold that with open hands and hold people with open hands and know that we're going to pour into them. We're going to develop them. But their ultimate uh, mission may not be always right here in this church. Um, I think that means, a, that means a lot to me when a leader says to me, Jeff, I want to invest in you, not mm-hmm. just that you give to me. I want to invest in you. That means mm-hmm. a ton. Yeah. So, so then that kind of leads us on to another uh, area that someone was wondering about, which was um, to do with like short-term and long-term uh, team members. So um, if you had someone who you knew could be with you, but maybe kind of for a year, as you set it up, uh, you've got someone else who, um, I mean, you don't know what the future holds, but who's saying, look, my intention is uh, I'm with you for the long haul. I'm going to uh, plow into this for, for a good number of years. How do you handle it differently in terms of uh, the way you invest in them and the way you develop them? Or, or is it different at all? Oh, yeah. No, that's a great picture. The picture I have of the short-term versus long-term is, is I think they're both incredibly necessary. The short-term person who commits for six months or a year, kind of, we kind of think of them like, like scaffolding on a building. So as the building's going up, you have to have the scaffolding around it to build the structure. But then once the structure's in place, you don't leave the scaffolding, you take it away. But, but the scaffolding is is indispensable to the early stages of a building. So are people that are there for a year or there for for six months. Some of those people you'll know because they'll tell you, I'm only here for a year. Other people, this is the heartbreaking part, but as a church planter, there's going to be leaders that start with you, heart and soul, I'm with you. And after a year, what we find in the States, often it's three years. I don't know why, but after about three years, many times we see core people say, oh, I love this. Now I'm going to go do something else. And that, 
that's heartbreaking. And yet they've been scaffolding. So uh, back to your question. If you have people that have identified themselves, I'm here for six months, I'm here for a year, I'm scaffolding. Yes, I agree with you. You do invest differently. You love them, you care for them, less development going on um, because you know they're going to go away. Yeah, you put a little development into them, knowing they're going to go away, you bless them when they leave. You let everybody know how, how much you love the fact they've been with you and, and you pray for them. If you can, you know, if you can show them some thanks as they go, it tells the other people you care about people, but at the same time, the people that you know are going to be here five years, 10 years, that's where you go the deepest. You don't want to put a scaffolding person in. I mean, if you have no other choice, sure, you put them in a major leadership position knowing I've got to replace them in the next few months because that person is going to go away. Cool. Um, okay, so one of the kind of 10 ingredients that you listed was family and getting your family on board. Uh, and then later you came on to the team. Um, I guess the reality for uh, many church planters, particularly in the early stages, is your family are your team. Um, and uh, kind of the, the big decisions and a lot of the, the work is done as a couple, as done if the kids are older, actually all of the family involved um how, how do you kind of manage the two different relationships that you've got with the same people and and so they're your family and in one sense that's where you get your rest and your your space that's that's not the church plant and at the same time they're the people on your team on the same journey the same adventure with you and any wisdom around that that you'd you'd have to share I don't know if I have wisdom, but I have uh, I have experience. Uh, paid, paid a lot of dumb tax in this area. Maybe you guys don't have to pay the same tax I do. So a picture I have of is when we meet Jesus, when we're in heaven. I know that Jesus is not going to say to us, "Hey, it's too bad that your kids fell away. It's too bad your marriage didn't go well." Too bad you messed up your family, but man, congratulations on planting a great church. It was not going to happen. Your family is your ministry. Your family is your priority. Your family is, is the thing. And so what happens with church planters, and I did it myself, I, I, I um, did damage to my family that took years and years and years to recover. And now my, my wife and I have an incredible relationship. We do ministry together, but I did a lot of damage. And because your family, like you said, it's your best team. It's your best tools. So you use them. Well, your family becomes just tools to get your church planted. And that's not, that, that's, that, that's not, that's not the, right, the right thing. Many families want to be used in a big way. Absolutely. But you need to have a conversation with your spouse. What, what has God called you to do? What do you feel strongly about? How do you, how do you feel fulfilled in ministry? And then you have to resist the temptation to turn your spouse into the go-to person because they can't say no. So my wife was the worship director, the children's director, the women's director, about 10 other things. She helped clean the church on, on Saturdays um, and uh, worked a full-time job and was mom to our two, two kids. And why did she do all that? Because she's talented and she couldn't say no. And so... That's a to me. That's the more important piece is to make sure that is your is your family on not just on board, but are the roles that you're putting your family into? Do your kids want to hand out the programs? Do your kids do they, they feel fulfilled? If they don't, 
then let's find another way to do it, okay? Mm. So the other piece of this, Tom, and my wife and I have a book coming out this this uh, December that we, we wrote about this whole idea of being in ministry as a couple and some of the healthy things and the, and, and, and the mistakes. And one of the things that we discovered is it was important for us to create space outside of the church, to create activities that we like to do together that had nothing to do with the church. We actually were able to buy, we lived on the coast at the time, uh, and we were able to buy a little boat. And so what we said is our boat is a no church zone. When we step foot on the boat, no one can talk about the church. No one can say the church name because we need space where we're just a couple. And so, Tom, what you brought up is a great point, is it can get to the point where it's church during the day, it's church at night, it's church on the weekends, and there's no space for you to disconnect as the church planner, but there's also no space for your family to be be the family. It is the church planter's job to guard that space. No matter how overwhelming planning a church is, you create that space, that time where your family is just your family. Yeah, very good. And yeah, I look forward to, to getting hold of and, and having a read of that, that book then, because that will be super helpful. Um, we've got a couple more questions. We've got kind of just over five minutes left. So it's probably your last chance now. If there's more things that you're wondering about, uh, type them in um, uh, and we'll try and get to them. Someone's asked a question about uh, with your launch or your core group about um, teaching content so uh in the early days what are some examples of like early teaching series that you do with that with that group that you've got with the core group yes oh, okay gotcha um probably don't have a great answer on that i guess what i would go to is uh the main thing you want to do with your core group, honestly, is you want to talk about the vision of the church, and then you probably need to talk about the vision of the church, and then I would take some time to talk about the vision of the church. You want to talk about the vision over and over and over again to the point that they say, we don't ever want to hear about that again, and then you know you're at the beginning of where they need to be because they, uh, they need to internalize it. I, I had a friend who planted a church here. And he told people up front, guys, our first year here is about meeting our neighbors, loving our neighbors, caring for our neighbors, and building relationships. You understand? That's what we're doing. Yeah, got it, got it, got it. And then people would come to him and say, okay, we love that. When are we starting in children's work, children's ministry? And he said, we're here to love our neighbors, care for our neighbors, be great neighbors. Got it. When are we starting small groups? And it kept going back to that again and again and again. So I think the biggest thing is is, is just revisiting that that uh, the vision. And then the other thing I would say is whatever helps your team grow as disciples. So do do deep dives into Bible studies. Do deep dives into discipleship type pieces, and and help them be growing as as you're getting as you're preparing to plant the church. What I wouldn't do with the launch launch team is preach a lot of sermons at them. Um, that, that's really not the purpose of launch team meetings. They're for community, they're for planning, they're for growing together, loving each other. They're not for sitting and listening to endless sermons. <clears throat> and um, the person who asked that question has just typed in great answer. So um, yeah, very appreciative. 
Um, another similar question uh, with that group of people is how you shape the prayer life of that group. So um, how do you get them praying? What kind of together prayer do you do uh, with that group of people? Yeah. Well, again, I'll go back to something I said earlier, right? So prayer begins with the leader. So it mm -hmm. starts with, and I know this is not a practical answer, but it really is. It starts with what is your prayer life like? Are, do you have a vibrant prayer life? Do you have a quiet time? What does it look like? You share that with your team. You, you let your team know, this is how I connect with God. This is what a personal prayer life looks for me. You give your team an opportunity to share. What does your prayer life look like? Let's talk about it. Let's not make prayer the last thing. Let's make it the first thing that we know about, that we talk about it. We make it a part of our meetings that we talk about. How is your prayer life going? And then, of course, when you're together, um, you know, you're praying for the personal needs in the group. Uh, people, again, it's a, it's a trite saying, but it's true. People uh, uh, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so you are praying for their, 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 their mom, their kids, uh, their job situation. And then you're praying for the church plant and where it's going to go. And here's what I think one of the big key, keys is that gets missed a lot of times. Whatever the language is or whatever you call it, you need a prayer leader on your team in addition to yourself. And they need to lead a, a prayer team eventually. Eventually, there should be a team that's devoted to prayer so that you know that there is a group of people beyond just the general team. Every day they're praying for you as the church planter. Satan is going to come after you and come after you. You need three, four, five people praying for you every day, praying for your family every day. They need to be praying for the church every day. They need to go into your space uh, while you're setting up or how, whatever kind of space you use and praying over every chair and praying over every instrument. And so that's a huge piece is to have that dedicated prayer team with a person that says, I, prayer is important to all of us, but that's going to be my main thing. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And just a reminder that you can find the full notes on everything that Jeff said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 83. See you next time. <laughs>